So if you have your Bible, if we can look at the book of Mark, chapter 9, and verse 14, we'll find our place there. It says, when they came to the disciples. Now, when they came, Jesus had been up on the mountain. It was a transfiguration. Peter, James, and John was up there. The voice had come from heaven. It was so good on top of the mountain, Peter said, Lord, let's just build three, three tabernacles up here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and let's just let the world go to hell. <laughs> let's just stay up here. Now, now, well, there's an interesting thought. You say, well, that's a, that's a hard statement, Pastor. Just let the world go to hell. Well, you know, many times that's the, the mindset that we've adopted in our churches. You know, boy, let's just build us a sanctuary. You know, and, you know if people want to come, it's okay. You know, if they happen to drop by, that's okay too. But, you know, I mean, let's just stay here. You know, I mean, it's comfortable. It, it's familiar. Uh, you know, we can control a lot of things. The lighting, we can control the, the temperature. We control all those things. And so, but, but Jesus knew they couldn't stay up on the mountain because ministry wasn't up on the mountain, but it was down in the valley. It was down in the trenches. In real life. And so, man, in this passage of Scripture, it starts out, and they said, you know, when they finally came down, and and Jesus said, no, no, we've got to go back down there. And here's what it says in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And scribes, or religious preachers, if you will, were disputing with them. Imagine that. Religion had a disagreement. And it goes on in verse 15, it says, All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed, and they ran up to greet Jesus. Then he asked them, What are you arguing with them about? Well, there's an interesting statement. What are you arguing about? Seems like Christianity does more arguing than they do anything else. You know, I, I uh, was talking to a pastor this week about a church, and uh, I said, oh, yeah, I, I know a couple of guys that have refereed those, that church. They, they never had the ability to pastor it. They just refereed it, the fights. But even beyond that, the quarrels in churches, and, and we wonder why the lost world doesn't want to go to church. But it's the quarrels amongst one another that... that The audacity for a denomination to think they have the monopoly on heaven is a slap in the face to the sacrifice of Calvary. Now can I say that again? The audacity of a denomination or a group of people to feel like they have a monopoly on heaven is a slap in the face to the finished work of Calvary. Now, as we look at this, they were arguing and disputing amongst one another. But out of the crowd, one desperate man answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you. Because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I came and I asked your disciples to drive it out. But they couldn't. Now circle that phrase, they couldn't. Now verse 19 says, he replied to them, 
you unbelieving generation. Boy, he uh, really sugarcoated that, didn't he? You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the father. Now circle this phrase. Since a child. From his childhood. And many times it has thrown him into a fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please have compassion on us. And please help us. Then Jesus said to him in verse 23, If you cannot, if you can't, I mean if you can, believe everything is possible. Verse 24, Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. But I love this next statement. But if there's any unbelief in me, Please help it. When the crowd, when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood up. And afterwards, when he went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, Master, why couldn't we drive that demon out? And Jesus told them, Because these kind come out by prayer and fasting alone. Now, what does this have to do with us today? When we look at this scripture and we begin to connect the dots, it has a whole lot. Because there's three things working in this passage of Scripture, and they're kind of jumbled up here. But when you make a decision to live your life and move out and be live a life on faith drive, when you're moving in that pathway and you're walking in faith and you're not operating on feelings, you're not operating on emotions, but you're operating in faith then you will be besieged on every turn. And when we are grasping at those things and connecting those dots and beginning to move together, you have to make another decision. You see, a lot of times <clears throat> when you go somewhere, it's not just one decision. Occasionally you can get out on your road and make a straight pathway and stop and you never have to make a turn. But over 90% of the places that you go, you have to make multiple turns to get there. Are you with me? And so you see, it's not just a one-time decision that you have to make. It's not just receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior when you're a child, but it's even more than that. It's more than that. It is, it is moving forward. It is, it is believing and making multiple decisions to move forward in faith of what God is doing in our life in a very unique way. I wish it was like that. I wish you only had to make one decision, but it's not. Life's not like that. You're always making a decision. As a matter of fact, it's amazing how many decisions you make in a day. You think, we only think about decisions as big decisions. But think about the small decisions that you make. And when you begin to count them up, 
man, there's multiple decisions. I mean, you make decisions in your mind subconsciously when you're walking through a, a parking lot to get to your car, whether you'll go in front of a car or behind it. Which aisle will you go down to get to it? There's multiple ways to get there. But here's the thing that I want you to understand today. That we have to get to a place where we're making decisions and we're not living a life that is a life of complete dependency. You see, you have to make a decision. Will I live my life on the roundabout of dependency? Everybody that comes into our everybody that comes to our city always says one thing. Boy, that roundabout really messes me up. And it's the most complicating thing. And many times people just lose sense of their direction. I remember I remember one day last summer we had a bunch of interns in the church van and, and they were talking and, and going on and just carrying on, having a good time, and we were going to, to grab some lunch and and we got, I was driving the van, and, and I went around the circle, and, uh, and, I, and I just went around it again. And I went around it again. And probably about the fourth time, one of them said, what in the world are you doing? I said, I was just seeing how long you was going to let me drive in circles. See, a lot of times we get caught up in life with the conversation that we're having. Good conversation, good things. Bad conversation, conflicts, joy. All those things, and, and we can just get in a, a, a life of just making circles. Matter of fact, the children of Israel walked in circles for 40 years. And they were so close to the promise. Somebody a lot smarter than myself figured it out. When they took the number of children of Israel, the number of the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, had they been paired up, walking in a straight line, two by two, when the last ones came out, crossing out of the Red Sea, the first ones would have already been going into the promised land. That's how long the line would have been. But that's how close they were to the promise. And so for 40 years, they lived a life of, of complete dependency, depending upon God, and they were just in a circle. And, you know, depending upon God is a good thing, and that's how we are to live our life completely dependent upon God. But the problem is, God doesn't want us to be spiritual beggars our whole life. He wants to do a work in your life, but today, it's like we, we have a system in our country where we live a life of complete dependency. And we're dependent upon other people for each and everything of our life. The thing about dependency is it becomes bondage. And if you live your life as someone who's always completely dependent upon somebody else, it's like living your life on a roundabout. You never really get anywhere, but you can make a whole lot of miles. Many of you may remember the, 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 the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off back in the day. And uh, they drove this car all around the city and they put all these miles on it. So they came back with this clever plan. The, the guy's father, the, the boy's father that owned the car, he was freaking out. And he's like, we got to get these miles off. So they jacked it up and figured we'll drive it in reverse, you know. Of course, that's a crazy movie. But the premise was, let's just put it here and let it sit in place and go backwards. A lot of people are jacked up and their wheels are turning. And they're not really going anywhere. They're jacked up and their wheels are turning and they're not really going anywhere. And they think the solution is 
more fuel, more power, more volume. I remember one time as a boy, I don't know if I ought to tell this story while I was streaming on television, but oh well, we was all kids one day. I remember one time I had a friend, he had a vet. And it wasn't a car vet, it was a Chevette. There's a big difference. And he had a Chevette, and it was the original smart car. I mean, you could pick it up and do whatever you wanted to with it. And so one day, we decided to pick that car up and slip some blocks underneath the, the back, uh, underneath the, the driving system where it was, was, uh, where the, was making it go. And he got in that car, and, uh, man, everybody picked on him about his car. You know, he'd come out one day to the store, and he'd be turned around sideways or move it over where he couldn't get the door open or something. But this particular day, the joke was, there he was, and, uh, and he was a friend of ours, so it was all good humor. And, man, he got in that car, and it wouldn't go. And it was a standard. And so, man, he, he just thought, if I give it more gas. And so there he was. He started giving it more gas, and, and man, he was shifting through the pattern. I mean, it was crazy. And all of a sudden, they shoved him off of blocks, and it took off. See, sometimes we just need a little push. We need something to break the dependency in our life that has us in bondage. Because bondage is this. I'm telling you that you shouldn't live a life completely handcuffed to anybody other than Jesus Christ. God did not create you to live your life completely in bondage and having to depend upon man's system or the government, or a job, or anybody else, God created you for greatness, not to live a life of complete dependency that becomes an unhealthy pattern in your life. Now stay with me here because there's a big difference in dependency and the other things. Matter of fact, dependency is a roundabout. I mean, there's always an opportunity for you to get off of a roundabout, but the reality of the roundabout is this, that if you're not careful, it just becomes so easy that you just sit there and keep going in circles, and you never end up going anywhere. A lot of people's lives end up that way. They end up living their life and never and truly really getting anywhere. So as we look at this, there's the roundabout of dependency. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in, in verse 14, in 14, 18, and 21. I ask you to underline that phrase where it says, how long has he been this way? And he said, since a child. And so since that boy was a child, he was living his life dependent upon those foul spirits that were controlling him and manipulating him. I'm sure that that boy's father had tried everything in the world to probably get him help. But he had, they had all succumbed to a life of dependency that had no victory. Many people are like that. I don't know how many times in my ministry I've heard this statement. Well, pastor, I would really like that, but boy, you know, I've just been this way too long. I've been this way too long. I can't change. I've had this problem too long. There's no way that I can, uh, that I can break free from it. This boy had had that from a childhood. Since he was a child, he was dependent upon whatever that foul spirit was making him do. That father had become to live a life of, well, this is just the way it's going to be. 
But I don't know, man. He probably began to hear the stories that were spreading through the villages about this man named Jesus that was coming around and how he was setting people free and how he was delivering people from oppression and, and, and bondage and sickness and disease and how he was delivering people from, from demonic spirits. And this father thought, man, if I can just get my boys to Jesus, then everything will be okay. And so when he got there, Jesus was up on the mountain. He thought, well, man, these are, these are the people of Jesus. Surely they, they've been empowered to conduct the work of Jesus. And so then they could take care of it. But the problem is that those disciples were down there trying to take care of it completely this boy who had been dependent upon this other thing came in contact with these disciples who were now operating in their independence. And as they were living their life in independence, it's kind of like driving on the interstate. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever been to the place in life or on the highway where you may have been trekking down some, some uh, country roads, two-lane roads for quite a while and Man, finally, you see the big freeway up ahead. And, uh, man, you think, if I can just get to that freeway, I mean, it's almost just a pressure that comes off of you. Because you almost desensitize. I mean, when you're on that two-lane road, you're, you're constantly looking and, and waiting for people to pull out and all of these things that happen on a two-lane road. But when you get to the interstate, it's like you just let your guard down, you kick your shoes off, put that baby on cruise, prop your foot up, and there you go. You're off and running. I'm on the interstate. I drive. It's just you. And I mean, at that point, you just, you just kind of kick back. And you just cruise. I remember one night I was in that process of just kicking back and just cruising. And man, there's an interesting interchange in Meridian, Mississippi. I was coming from Virginia, and it was about 2 in the morning, and man, I was driving and listening to the radio and just in my own world, and I kept seeing these signs that said Laurel, Mississippi. And I got to thinking, man, something's not right with that. Before I knew it, I had become so desensitized to everything around me in the independence of the world that I had created, I had went way out of the way. Now you see what happened here in this passage of Scripture where there was a, a boy whose life had been manipulated by the foul spirits. Today there's many people whose lives have been manipulated by foul spirits, manipulated by the system of this world. And then they, when they decide to break free from it, go to the people of God who are operating in the independency of their own pride, their own strength, their own spirit, and they are helpless against the power and the attack of the devil. Amen. Because they're operating in their own strength. They're operating in their own flesh. There are many times they're, they, 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 they're, they, they know what to do. They know the prayers. They may have even done it in the past. But when we do something a lot, we become desensitized. And we just kind of develop a spirit of independency. And that spirit of independency begins to kind of overwhelm us if we're not careful. And we begin to think that it's us. Matter of fact, there's a many a good preacher that has bit the dust. Because he started out walking a life in relationship with the Holy God. And he began to, God began to move in his life in such a way that he finally made it to a place that he thought, Man, this is me. You know, I don't really need God. I can do this thing on my own talent. 
my own strength, my own ability. Those disciples were there. Now, guys, they had been, they had been doing ministry. They knew what it was like to have authority over foul spirits. Matter of fact, they came back and they were amazed. When he sent them out, they came back. One of the things they said was, even the demons, even, we, he, they had authority. Foul spirits, they, they had authority over disease. They had authority over sickness. They had authority over foul spirits. But now, the ones who had come back and was once perplexed, by the ability of the Holy Spirit working through them, now came back and they were powerless. Matter of fact, the lack of their power worked up an argument in the flesh. When Jesus showed up on the scenes, the Bible says that they were arguing. That they were debating with the religious people. Because the religious people were like, well, we can do this. We can bring victory. We can do these things. And as they were in this process, they had begun to walk out of life of independency. And so Jesus comes on the scene. And you know the story. We just read it. And all of a sudden, he brings them. And he says, for anybody who will believe, they can have victory. And the father said, I do believe. But please help my unbelief. You see, that father realized that though he wanted to believe, there was a power working in him that was contrary to the working of faith. And what I want you to realize today, my friends, is that when we make a decision to walk by faith, all of a sudden our sight rises up and it begins to rise up the place of self. It begins to rise up and begin to work in our hearts and our lives. And if we're not careful, the life of interdependency will be derailed by the life of independency. Now, these are three different distinct things. There's one thing to live a life of complete de- being completely dependent. There's another thing to live a life of complete independency. But there's another thing to live a life of interdependency. Now, the word, the root word here in these points is all the same. Trusting in something. But the words are all completely different. Because the life of dependency, if you look up that word, it means to be completely reliant upon another. It means to, to a state of relying on the need of someone else. The life of independency is freedom from the control of anybody other than self. But the life of interdependency is a mutual partnership relying on each other. And when they pulled Jesus off to the side after he had cast the foul spirit out of that boy, they, were, they asked him privately, they said, Now, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, Guys, those kind come out by prayer and fasting alone. Now, the problem about prayer and fasting and the reason that so many of us, including myself, struggle many times with prayer is because it's automatically admitting that you don't have the answer and you're having to live a life of interdependency. You see, a life of dependency can kind of be uh, seen in a roundabout. The life of independency can be pictured in an interstate, but the life of of, of, uh, independence can be seen in an interstate, but the life of interdependency is best seen in an airport. Because I'm telling you that if you've ever flown, you know there is a many a people that are working together to get you to your destination. From the person that 
gives you your boarding pass. Maybe it's not a person anymore. Maybe it's a kiosk. Maybe it's your smartphone. You just drop that dude down. If your battery dies, somebody has to give you the connecting point. Somebody has to take your bag. Somebody has to put you on the plane. Somebody has to push you off. Somebody has to clear you to take off after you've been pushed off. After you've taken off, somebody has to put that dude in the air. Even if they put it on autopilot, somebody's got to take it off. And somebody's got to land it. And somebody's got to receive you when you get there. You see, what God is wanting to do in our heart and our life is to live a life of interdependency. Where it's not I, where it's not me, but it's we. It's living a life in a complete partnership and unison with the Holy Spirit. A life of interdependency brings about victory because it brings about the best talent of many worlds. Matter of fact, some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest things that you enjoy yourself, they may have had a front man, but behind the scenes there was somebody making it happen. Matter of fact, the, the great iPhone, the, we're waiting for September the 9th for it to come out with a new product. And, you know, who you say iPhone, we think about Steve Jobs. But Steve Jobs is the visionary. He was the businessman. But he wasn't the dude that made Apple what it is. He had a partner who helped make that. Him and a partner started in a garage. There was an interdependency. And what I want you to know, that in our churches today, in the world today, we have developed a life of independence and we began to say, God, we've got this thing. Lord, we can do this. Matter of fact, many churches, many churches can do what they do on a weekly basis if the Holy Spirit did not even exist in their own strength, in their own mind, in their own power, in their own production. I mean, you put on big productions without the Holy Spirit. I mean, they do it every weekend in concert venues. They pack out stadiums, put on big shows, they entertain, people walk away pleased. Many times with the absence of the Holy Spirit, you can do big church, you can do small church, you can do all those things and be void of the Holy Spirit, but you cannot change and transform lives without walking out a life of interdependency. And what God is wanting to do in my life is he's wanting me to get to the place that I realize, you know what, preacher, it's not about you. It's not about your ability. It's not about your talents, but it's about God in you. John the Baptist understood this. That's why he said, I must decrease, that he must increase, that we may walk together. Now, God didn't need us. Matter of fact, if you look at the Bible... Now, I know we could, we could find instances all throughout the Bible, but if you look at the Bible, really the only thing God did by himself was create this thing. And he did that in partnership with the triunity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, it says, let us create man in our image. Let us, let us, let us. But every other thing through the Bible, you know what God used? Partners. An interdependency working together, whether it was Moses who was speaking. God sent him a partner. God did the, he did the natural. God did the supernatural. Whether it was Joseph, whether it was Jacob, whether it was David, it didn't matter who it was. Jump over into the New Testament. And when God didn't use a man, he, he partnered up with animals. Amen? You remember with Balaam? I mean, he was going to pray a curse on God's people and he wouldn't be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So God used what? A donkey. The donkey 
spoke when he couldn't get his attention. What about As we've gone through this sermon today, if you find yourself conflicted, not knowing which way to go, would you please give us the honor at Family of Grace to be able to help you in that journey? Let us pray for you. Help, let us help believe God with you and for you and all that he has. But right where you are, you just have to begin to confess and say, Lord Jesus, I know that you have a direction for my life. Help me to follow it. And I know that God will give you the word that you need. May the Lord richly bless your heart as you go through this endeavor in your life. May God bless you.